I want to introduce you to Denver. Um, yeah, you'll get the point. All right, well, apparently while I was out, somebody got into the kitty cat treats. Now, I'm gonna go look at the suspects. Suspect number one. Is it you, Macy? See your face. Did you do this? Did you? I don't think you did. Number two. What? Did you do this? Denver, did you do this? Denver, was this you? Denver, you won't look at me. Did you? What? Denver, did you do this? Look at me. Come here. Let me see. Let me see your face. Oh my goodness, Denver, you didn't. You, you did this? You got in the kitty cat's treats? While I was gone? Sorry about it? Okay. You know the routine. In the kennel. Go on. Very disappointed. You're in the penalty box. Thanks, man. You let it happen. <laughs> We've had uh, a couple of Labradors in our family. This is Taj. He was our um, psychotic Labrador. When I say psychotic, I mean psychotic animal. Um, he would chew and eat everything. So if Cheryl hung the washing on the line, he would chew it and eat it. Sheridan used to play soccer and she'd leave her soccer boots and her shin pads at the back door and he would always eat the left one. So we had all these odd things. You can just see behind him there's an outdoor table and chairs. I left my Bible out there one day and the pages started to flap in the breeze. Brand new Bible, just bought it that morning at Kurong. He ate First Samuel. <laughs> he was hungry for the word. That's true. But he was a nut and you would just, you'd open the door and you'd let him go and he'd just go, he'd, like, he'd have these moments where he'd just go berserk. In the house, outside the house. One day we had some visitors over and this lady was just eating her lunch and he literally jumped into her lap while she was eating. He was a psychotic dog. This was our Fijian dog. She wasn't psychotic, she was neurotic. She was very possessive about her food and, yeah, she, was, she wouldn't let anyone come near the house. She was a bit crazy. And this is our, our recent... Labrador, this is Lily. We had to change Lily's name. A little bit of a story. You, our dogs, this was Lily's name was Tanya. 
We didn't think it was very appropriate to have Matt and Tanya and a dog called Tanya, so we thought we'd better change her name to Lily. No insult to Tanya, but it was just, just didn't seem appropriate. Now, Lily's not neurotic, she's not psychotic, she's just, just plain lazy. <laughs> That's all we could say. But we've all had pets that we love, right? And they might drive us nuts, they might chew everything. Like our dogs have dug up our yard, they've scratched our cars, they've destroyed our plants, they've chewed doors, steps, chewed our decking, ate our washing, our shoes, hose, garden hoses, chewed on our furniture, they've pooed on our carpets, weed on our carpets, vomited on our carpets, cost us a fortune in healthcare and vaccinations, but they're our family and we love them. And despite the fact that they drive us nuts at times, we wouldn't ever, ever, ever get rid of them. We just have an incredible love for our animals. And I think that's a beautiful picture of how much <laughs> God loves us. Because <laughs> isn't, isn't that just the heart of God? Like, you know, despite the cost, despite the failures, despite the inconvenience, despite the catastrophes in our life, God loves us. You know, we're like Labradors that do the wrong thing all the time and end up in the penalty box like Denver. And yet God loves us. There's not one inkling in the mind or the heart of God to ever reject us. Never. He wants to throw his arms around us and love us. It's the perfect reflection of God because it extends, his love extends beyond all our failures, beyond our depravity, our apathy, our rebellion, our addictions, our dysfunction, our pride, our failings, our faults, our deficiencies, our weaknesses, our defects and our flaws. God looks way beyond all of those and he wants to love us. And in fact, he's done everything possible for that love to be known to us and to be received by us. And I think sometimes it's just good just to, and the word was stop, and just remember how much God loves us and the extent to which he's gone to demonstrate that love by sending his son Jesus for us. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, sometimes we come to church to, to receive some new revelation or but I think sometimes what we've already been given, we forget. And it's good sometimes just to stop and just to recognise, you know, the Father's love for us is so profound and so real and such a blessing in our lives. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserved to be in the penalty box. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. I think what Dan was saying before was like it's, it's so hard to describe, isn't it? And it is beyond description. It is unfathomable what God has done for us. And I think the whole point of our Christian work is that walk is that it's not just an academic cerebral pursuit of God. It's a knowing in the inner being of the love of God. Have you ever seen in ministry when someone's had that revelation of how much God loves them? Like the scales fall away and suddenly they realise just how much the Father yearns and longs and aches and believes in those people. It's the most beautiful experience to see the light go on in people's lives. And we need to have that. I read a great thing this week and it said, you know, the next great move of God will start with love and will finish with love. And the whole world is looking for something. The churches are looking for the next new program or the greatest next thing, but it's all centred in love. Just knowing how much God loves you sets up the whole platform of your life. If there's doubt, if there's fear, if there's questioning about whether God loves you or not, then your whole self-esteem and your well-being as a person is dictated by that. But God wants us to know beyond doubt, any doubt, that he loves us. And I think the Bible uses this whole idea of our, you know, that God loves us even in our brokenness. God loves us even when we're failing. And they're the times when we seem to withdraw from God, but they're not, they're not the end of the story. We've got this treasure in us that God has placed there. It's the knowledge of his love for us. It's his personal presence in us so that we know that we've got power in life. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. I think there's this incredible tension in Scripture between our frailty and our fragility as people and our brokenness and yet God's strength and his presence and his love in the midst of that. And it's holding those two in tension because we're not vessels that are perfect and whole. We are broken and we leak. None of us has arrived at the place of saying, I'm there. And yet God loves us where we are right now. And that's the wonder of what God does. He pours himself into our broken vessels. And oftentimes we leak. There's this great story about uh, two servants who used to have to travel every day to get water. It was quite a distance. And one of the vessels that was carried was perfect, didn't have any holes in it, no cracks. And so the servant would always come back with a whole jar of water. And yet the other servant had a, had a jug or a jar that had, had sort of fractures in it and it would leak 
And so by the time he got back to the master, it was always half empty. And he always felt in, in, uh, inadequate because of that or insufficient. And one day the master said to him, next time you come back from the waterhole, I want you to look to the left and the right as you come back. And he'd never noticed before, but because the jar leaked all the time, all along the path on the left to the right were flowers. And there was life because this vessel was actually leaking. And we're like that, aren't we? We leak. We fail. We come undone. We struggle. But it's in the midst of that that God uses our brokenness. Because we're broken, and I've just died, haven't I? It's because we are broken. We're shattered fragments that God pulls together. We're frayed strands that God weaves into a tapestry. We're little bits of brokenness that God puts together in the context of community. And it's in that community that the brokenness is made whole, that together we serve one another. We're inter interconnected, we're intertwined, and God forms something beautiful. Have you ever seen the back of a tapestry? Looks like a mess, doesn't it? Turn it around and it's something beautiful. You look at all the pieces of mosaic, just separate. They don't look like much, but put them all together with some artistic flair and you've got this beautiful thing. And I think that's what God does with us. He takes our brokenness and he redeems it. He takes our death and he turns it into life. He takes our trials and he turns them into conquests. And God loves us and we've got to stop and remember that. And we know that in all things, work together for good. I think we sung about that this morning, didn't we, Paul? All things work for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say in response to all that God has done? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will the Father not also, along with his son Jesus, graciously give us all things? So who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God that justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Because Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or financial bankruptcy or divorce or broken relationships or broken families or families where you were abused. Nothing will separate us from the love of God because God's reached over the top of that to rescue us. And I think sometimes we just forget how much God loves us. None of us were famous. None of us were rich. But God doesn't care about those things. He loves us. So what shall separate us from the love of God? Sell danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
We are more than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? (laughs) If you've already conquered, how can you be more than that? It's because what God has done in us and through us and longs to do. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor the powers, nor the height nor the depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there's no other scripture you ever learn, that one is ideal. It's just an amazing truth that is almost incomprehensible to the human mind, how much God has loved us. I remember reading a book, I think it was The Master Plan of Evangelism. And there was a little story in there about a guy who was sharing his testimony to someone in India. Um, And he was explaining to this young man how much God had done to redeem him, how the extent to which Jesus had given up his throne in heaven and come and and taken on the form of a man and all that he endured at the hands of his own creation. He was trying to get this young man to, to appreciate how much God loved him personally, intimately, how God had formed him in his mother's womb, how he'd created him to be unique amongst all the other people of the earth. And in India, that's a big concept. But he was trying to get this young man just to grasp an inkling of how much God loved him. And I remember that young man in the story said to the man, if you truly believe that that's how much God loves you, you would crawl across grass, uh, glass across the nation of India to tell everybody that fundamental truth. Like If you're so convinced that God loves you that much, There shouldn't be anything you're not willing to do to let the world know the Father's love for people. It's really challenging. It starts with us knowing how much the Father loves us, how much he loves Mark Wilson. And that's why I love worship. I love worship because it's in those moments of worship when our focus is on God, when we just stop and reflect And remember that the voice of God and the Spirit of God reminds us of the Father's love. Have you ever heard God whisper your name? When I was struggling in my relationship with God and I was wrestling with laying down my life to serve Jesus. Um, We were at a conference up in Queensland and I wasn't walking with the Lord and Cheryl had been praying for months and months and months that I'd come to the Lord and I didn't want to go to a church camp because I knew what would happen there so I stayed outside, refused to go in because I didn't want to be convicted and I didn't want to be challenged by God. And I was walking around um, the centre and I had Sherry in my arms And God audibly spoke to me and said, Mark, when are you going to stop running? And and when I say audibly, I turned around to see the person 
because I didn't know it was God. It was a little bit like, you know, when um, God was calling out to Samuel and he went to Eli. And I kept walking around. The Lord said to me again, Mark, when are you going to stop running? And I literally turned around and I thought I was going nuts in the moment. And it happened a third time. And then, and I'm, I was, you know how these things happen, but you don't process them at the moment. You look back in reflection and realize what God was doing. And I came into that auditorium. And this is the most profound moment of my life. There was a, a mother and a daughter standing at the very back of the auditorium, listening to the man preaching. I think they were singing by that stage. Because all I can remember is that this lady put her arm around her daughter and just pulled her close and gave her a hug. And God said to me, Mark, that's what I'm trying to do to you, but you won't let me. And I knew in that moment how much God loved me and how much he was reaching out to try and put his arms around me so I could live the rest of my life in the fullness of the knowledge of how much he loved me. And my whole life up until that point had been about my lack of self-esteem and trying to find an expression of who I was in my vocation or in any other thing except for the one thing that would guarantee me the perfect mindset, which was how much Jesus loved me. And God will go to any extent, I truly believe that, to demonstrate that to us. It will come in different shapes and forms and ways. But I know that when we have that revelation, we have that truth. God is amazing. Why don't we pray? Father, I just want to simply pray this morning that you would still our minds, that you'd remove all the distractions. You'd help us look beyond our brokenness, our failings, our shortcomings, the struggles, the trials. And Lord, give us a glimpse, a taste, a touch this morning, a reminder of the love that you've lavished upon us. But because of his great love, Father, we thank you for that immeasurable, indescribable, unfathomable, eternal love that you have for us. Lord, I pray that they're not just concepts out in the sky this morning, up in the air. I pray that it's a revelation that stirs in our hearts and spirits this morning, that you would remind your people, your sheep, how much as the shepherd you love them and want to protect them and guard them and nurture them. Father, I just pray this morning that supernaturally you just put your hand on people. Holy Spirit, that you would just come and remind people how much you love them not because of what they've done or what they can do, but because of who they are in you. Your love never fails. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me?
Lord, we thank you for that love. That nothing can separate us from that. Not the fact that we're broken. We praise you for that eternal truth today.